Purple Elephant shower thought of the day. If I touch my phone in the right places, a pizza will just show up at my front door. This is Purple Elephant Radio, where we hear about storytelling, originality, and creativity from the creators who are actually making something matter. I'm your host, Sean Green. This summer, I've been working on a big project, a book, a book for creatives, for artists, for content creators. This book is called Purple Elephant Artist, art and essays for creatives. With the help of some wonderful people, Sveta Wannenberg, Jada Bennett, and Olivia Childs, we have made something awesome. You know, I think there are an abundance of online courses and books that revolve around teaching specific skills whether it's marketing tactics or actual techniques when it comes to creative mediums. But what I think is underrated is the mindset behind creativity, the psychology, the philosophy, the why of why we create. So really what this whole book is revolving around is what are the mindset shifts you need to make? What are the questions you need to ask yourself? The questions only you can answer. Your original work without feeling like you have to mimic someone. My whole intention for this thing is to prove to you that you are capable of creating, of being creative. And I hope that it will inspire you to create your own brand, your own art, your own stories. So please check the link in the description. Go on Amazon, either pre-order or order that book, depending on when you're hearing this. And I promise you, it will be worth your while. To start with this episode, I wanted to talk about this idea of uh, a diet or a regimen for consumption, for non-food consumption, art and entertainment. And I think out of the four categories for the book, think, consume, create, become, I think consumption is the most underrated process of being a better artist, being more creative. And I think a huge part of that is no one ever talks about being a conscious consumer for art and entertainment. We often talk about, you know, conscious consumption of eating. And we're all over the the trendy diet. But we don't really have a keto diet equivalent of the art and entertainment we consume. We don't have a, a vegan diet equivalent. We don't have the government telling us the recommended diet for art and entertainment. There is no read 30 minutes a day, uh, watch a movie a week, and limit your sitcoms to two shows a day. We don't have that. And because we don't have that, we need to take it upon ourselves to really consider what we're consuming and why we consume it. Because I'm willing to bet the current entertainment you consume, whether it be on YouTube, social media, Um, Netflix, Hulu, I'm willing to bet the stuff you consume is either because it was advertised to you or because of word of mouth. A friend, uh, an acquaintance told you about it. I'm willing to bet very, very few of the people listening to this actively sought out a, a book or a movie because they thought it would improve their skills as a creative. 
because they thought it would inspire them to do more. And I could be very wrong. I hope I'm wrong. But I mean to make the point that we need to be conscious of how we consume. We need some sort of diet, some sort of regimen. And my hope in, in creating this section is that you come up with it yourself. Because if you read through it, I don't give any concrete things saying, read this book, read that book. It's more, how do you want to think about it? And this will obviously depend on, you know, what your medium is. The filmmaker is going to have a different regimen than the 2D artist versus the sculptor. But I still believe that the principles I'm about to share can apply to each person. Now, I mentioned this last time, but if you don't want to read books, if you're not a reader, if you tell yourself, you know, books are boring, they're not useful, then they won't be. There's no point in me telling you to, oh, you got to read. Man, the best stuff is in the book. I could go into that. I could give you the big elevator pitch for why reading is worth it. And I've, I've had that conversation with a, a buddy from high school. And I realized if you're not a reader, you're probably not going to read. And, you know, if you lose out on something because of that, that's your loss. However, what I will say is at least find time to consume long-form content, content that took work to make, more than reaction videos on YouTube, more than uh, someone streaming online. If you're not going to do books, try audiobooks. If you're not going to do audiobooks, do podcasts, do documentaries. Even a feature film is better than only consuming sitcoms or only consuming social media. But on that note of books, which really just represent long-form content, I think you need to find a balance between fiction and nonfiction. And not only that, but between indirect wisdom and direct wisdom. Now, what do I mean by all those four things? Well, obviously, fiction and nonfiction, it's pretty clear which is which. But within nonfiction, I would consider there to be two categories, indirect wisdom and direct wisdom. Indirect wisdom is the biography that follows a, a single person. Indirect wisdom is the documentary that focuses on, you know, one person's life. Direct wisdom is what I would consider self-help, self-development. Books that analyze tons of people and try to break down what were their commonalities, what were the principles that allowed these people to succeed, tell better stories. I think finding time for the meta and the specific is highly valuable. And this was a big hurdle for me to overcome because when I started reading in high school, I only read direct wisdom. And maybe that's a stretch calling it wisdom, but I only read the books that were you know, uh, how to win friends and influence people, the books that taught business principles and techniques and specific skill sets. I hardly read any stories. And it was only quite recently that, you know, I had probably from eight years ago, just an old copy of the adventures of Robin Hood. And I was like, I'll give it a try. And long story short, you don't need to read the book. It's not going to change your life or anything. But for me, that truly was the first fiction book that I had read in years. 
even though I had been a reader for that span of time and I considered myself a, a reader and I would identify as that, I just didn't read stories. And the other part was getting to Ernest Hemingway and maybe he's overhyped, but this idea of consuming the classics, even if it feels painful at first, if you've never read a classic, if you've never watched a classic and you know what I mean, I don't need to explain what a classic is. What is the, what does our culture consider a classic? What are the books that you were supposed to read in high school that maybe you didn't? The 1984s, the Fahrenheit 451s, what made them classic? As a storyteller, you should want to know. You shouldn't rule them out and say they're ancient, they're, they're useless. They clearly moved the genre forward some way, somehow. They clearly impacted the culture. And I think you should make it a goal to find out why or how. The final two pieces of a, a, a better diet for consumption are finding time for randomness and paying for content. Let me go into the first one. Find time for randomness. This used to not be that much of an issue. But now with curation technology becoming amazing to the point where we don't really need to ask for recommendations because some algorithm has the perfect recommendations based on the movies we love, the books we love. You as a, a creator, a creative, have to, have to find time for randomness. Randomness in the content that you consume. And a quick side note, I want to give a shout out to Nick Potter because he really impacted the way I think about this. I've had two of his classes and every week we would consume some weird, sometimes avant-garde, sometimes just a odd little short film, stuff that I never would have found otherwise. That was never a classic. That was never, maybe it was in like a, a film festival, but really just kind of under the radar. He brought those to my attention. And it's not necessarily the specific things that he brought that were important, but the idea that there's incredible content being produced every day and maybe it doesn't hit mainstream but you you as a creative should want to seek that out because i'm willing to bet not everyone who's creative in fact probably most artists aren't so focused on wanting to be famous instead maybe they want to make a change maybe they just want to make great art and not have to compromise for the masses and I get that. I see that point of view. And for those of you who are like that, and even those of you who aren't, find time for the, the alternative crowd, the indie crowd, whether that's in music, movies, short films, writing, podcasts. <laughs> Randomness is the, the outskirts, the stuff that doesn't make the algorithm. Not because it's not valuable, not because it... Not even because it's not well produced, but because for some reason or another, it just didn't meet the right criteria, didn't have the right keywords. So I do think part of your job as a, a conscious consumer of art and entertainment is to be the anti-curator for yourself sometimes. Pick a documentary that, you know, you don't even know what it's about. Find time for randomness. We don't have that much. We don't have much of that left in our culture. Finding time for randomness allows for combinational creativity. Maybe you hear a sound in an obscure indie song, and that sound inspires a story 
Or if you make music of your own, that sound inspires you to bring that element into your rap music, to a hip-hop beat you're making. Whatever the case may be, the more randomness you allow in your life, the more opportunities you'll have for combinational creativity. And the final thing I said about kind of my regimen, my opinion for a, a consumption regimen, is to pay for content. This one's optional. Here's the only point I want to make. If you don't pay for content, you're paying some, some other way. If you don't pay for content, then you're paying with your attention of the, you know, the ads that you probably wouldn't want to watch otherwise. If you don't pay for content, then somehow, some way, it's hurting you. And the, the, I can make the same, I can draw the same conclusions for paying for food. The people who eat the cheap food, the cheap fast food, yeah, they're, they're saving money, but where is it costing you? Long-term health. And there's no, you know, big data studies out. Maybe there is. I'm, I'm not going to check. But the waters are murky for the long-term effects of cheap content. And it sounds weird, but is the massive amount of clickbait stuff numbing us in some way? Is there some long-term impact? And I suspect... And I'm sure I could find stuff to back up my point, but I suspect that, you know, all this consumption, being, allowing yourself to be drawn into the fear-based and sex-based clickbait on the internet, I think that's costing us in mental health. You know, I think the, the connections there for social media and teens where, you know, that there's a correlation with anxiety and depression and all I mean to say is if you allow yourself to believe that you're pulling a fast one on the tech companies because you're not paying for anything, I'm, I just want to urge you to consider where is it costing you? At least go into it. At least think about it. But now that I've kind of laid out my consumption regimen and I'll just summarize it again, read books or at least something long form, something that took work to create, find time for that every day, find time for both fiction and nonfiction, find time for the real and the fake. And within nonfiction, find time for the meta and the specific, find time for the biographies, the specific stories, and find time for the direct wisdom. Maybe this is just me, but I think everyone should find time to read a, a self-development book. Everyone should find time to read a, a book that gives you the, the principles of generating wealth. The Richest Man in Babylon. Highly recommend it. Completely free online. And I'll link that. That's an incredible little short story to really teach the principles of wealth. And I'm willing to bet that a lot of people don't know about it. And that's a, a nice mix between indirect wisdom and direct wisdom. It's a story that teaches very clear morals, very clear principles. And the other two pieces of my consumption regimen Pay for content, be willing to pay for content, at least be aware of where you're paying because maybe the trade-off, it is worth watching a few ads because it's cheaper, but you have to make that decision and I hope you make it consciously. And the other thing is find time for randomness. When in doubt, find something random, consume a random book, consume a random podcast. And for those who might struggle to think of something random, I would urge you to and this again goes back to last episode about thinking, but 
what are kind of overarching curiosities that a lot of people have? People get really curious about math and science, nature and biology, philosophy, business and marketing. Do any of those pique your interest? If so, just dive into one. Have you ever been curious about the stars? Watch uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson. I know he has, I think, Cosmos. Or read one of his books. Anything to get you out of your rut if you only consume one form of content, thematically speaking, not necessarily a medium. But transitioning from the regimen to what to do with consumption, because really anyone can consume stuff. Everyone consumes entertainment in some way, shape, or form. But the people who succeed, creatively speaking, are those who know how to apply it, who know how to analyze what they're consuming to make them better, more creative, uh, to discover new techniques and tools to use for their own art. Those are the people who stand out above the rest. So I want to talk about the idea of practical consumption, which didn't make it in the book because I, I had thought about it after. But I want to draw the connection between the artist and the athlete. No athlete would assume that one drill, one pass, one three-point shot is enough to master their sport or make them ready for the big game. No athlete in their right mind would think that. So why do we as artists, as creatives, assume that one viewing of a movie, who assume that watching one type of TV show is enough to get better at our craft? Because guess what? Unlike athletes who, you know, if they play basketball, they got to do is dribble a ball. When it comes to art, there's no real practice. Either you're doing the thing or you're not. So in my opinion, the way I, I want to make the, the argument that the consumption of art for a creative is a form of practice. Because guess what? You can't film a movie every day, you know, if you're an indie filmmaker. You just can't. But you can always be watching a film every day or reading a story every day. And along with that idea, why are we not taught to reread books? You know, in English class, we're so focused on analyzing the deeper meaning of a book. But why do we never consider how the author wrote it? What techniques they used? Techniques that we could use, practical techniques. And in my opinion, it's basically the film studies versus film production. You know, when we teach people either an English class or film class, we're talking about college, who only teach about analyzing stuff, finding the, the meaning. It, I don't think they realize how little that does for teaching us how to create work of our own. We're hardly ever taught how to practically consume art and entertainment. And all that does is create a generation of douchebags who know how to analyze every little color, every little pixel, on a screen, but couldn't make original work of their own. So that being said, I think we as the consumer have to take it into our own hands to spot the techniques and tools that we could then take and use for our own work. So the way practical consumption works, which involves getting in the head of either the writer, the director, the artist, the actor, whatever, you have to figure out how they think, you have to figure out how they pulled off the technique in question. And finally, 
how are those two related? Because if you can figure out how a writer thinks, and I'll get into that process, if you, and if you can figure out what the technique was that they did, let's say, here's a very quick example. Let's say you're reading a book and it's written in the third person and suddenly you start seeing this use of I's and, and me's and you realize this author has seamlessly morphed the text into the thought of the main character. I'm speaking from a, a book that I've just been reading. I had to reread that because I'm thinking it was so smooth that it didn't seem weird. It didn't seem weird the fact that they started using I. But at the same time, I wanted to know where that transition was. So if the technique in question is this transition from narration to stream of consciousness writing, the other question is, well, how did the, how did the writer, why did they decide to use this technique? And you have to ask yourself, you know, what what caused, what did it spur inside myself as the audience member? Well, I felt a lot more connected to the character. I could feel that it was basically a show, don't tell technique of I could feel the character's franticness, their worry through their stream of consciousness. And so when I analyzed that just for a second, I realized the reason I liked that is because it allowed the author to show, not tell, something that happens inside someone's head. So it, for myself, I mark that and think if there's ever a case where I'm working on a character and I don't want to just say they're sad, they're happy, they're scared, I know I have that tool in my back pocket that says I can transition to a stream of consciousness where I'm inside this character's head. And for a moment, I have the opportunity to break away from third-person narration and can essentially have small spurts of first person in a third person story. And that might sound confusing, but I'm trying to get specific so that you can see it's not just a process that I made up. It's a process that I have used and have an understanding of it. So again, really when I say you have, when I say you have to get in the head of the writer, obviously you're making some guesses. But when I say, how did they think? How did they, why did they decide to use that technique? I work backwards and say, what did I get from it? What did I realize about the story? What did, what did it make me feel? And that translates to they probably wanted to produce that feeling, that emotion. Maybe they didn't articulate it like that. Maybe they weren't as clear, but they just had this thought of, I want to show, not tell. Because I'm sure if you're a creative, you've had moments where you're either watching a movie or you're reading a story or listening to a song in something catches your attention and kind of knocks you out of this like lull where you're thinking, you know, if you're listening to a song, you hear this, like these chimes, whoa, where did that come from? How did they create that sound? I'm sure we've all had moments of that where we're just in awe for a split second at something we've consumed. That's step one. That's, that's the thing that gets your attention. And from there, you want to dissect that technique that they used and that in spite of I mean I'm so wordy with how I'm explaining it but I hope my point is coming across that when we consume stuff for our learning when we treat it like a practice when we're trying to become a better writer and we're reading other writers 
we treat it like a learning process, we shouldn't be analyzing the deep meaning behind something. We should be focused on dissecting the tools and techniques because that's what's useful. That's what's practical. And again, the the caveat is that obviously there's going to be times where you just want to consume entertainment for fun, for joy. And that's amazing. I don't want to take that away, but you do have to find time for entertainment and art that you treat like your teacher. Now to finish this section off, I want to talk less about, you know, how is what you're going to consume? How is that going to translate into a story or something fictional or a piece of art? I want to get away from that for a second and talk about how we need to find time for consuming for the subject matter rather than for, you know, the, the storytelling techniques they used. And what I mean by that is by going deep on something for the subject matter, wanting to dive deep on things you're curious about, obviously, I just think it gives purpose. It gives meaning. But for those who really need a reason to, you know, you know, why would I consume stuff about science? I, I graduated high school. I'm done with that. Well, as a creative, being able to expand your the type of stuff you're consuming to be able to go to be able to go from math and, and science to art and story you really open up the doors for you open up the doors for more story opportunities for more opportunities of combinational creativity combining elements that have never been combined before but i can empathize i can understand how if you've never really done it before, sometimes it feels forced to read a book about science or to watch a documentary about the ocean. If you're really just, that's not your cup of tea, I get that. But if there's a lingering thought like, you know, I always wished I knew more about this subject. I always wish I knew more about cooking, for example. If that's the case and you still have this kind of back and forth with yourself like, ah, but I'm not going to be a chef but I kind of want to know a little bit about it. I'm curious. I want to treat it like a hobby. If you're having that back and forth, I'd argue that the best way to give yourself an excuse to consume that is to teach as you learn, to teach as an extension of your consumption. That's the beauty of this social media age is how we're able to share everything, which has its drawbacks, obviously, but the fact that I can now share a blog to the world, share my writing every single day. It's annoying. <laughs> it's hard. It's, it's not always fun. But what that does by creating that structure where I feel compelled to share every day because I made a promise to myself, I made a promise to you who listen and you who read because I'm on the line. I have, I've made that commitment to myself. It gives me an excuse to go deep on stuff I never would have gone deep on. It gives me an excuse to read a book about astronomy because, oh, I'm going to make a podcast about the art of science. I guess I have to read this. Oh, I'm going to, I've just decided I'm going to do an episode on AI. Guess I'll have to read about it. Guess I'll have to learn about it. It sounds so weird, but if I didn't have, you know, the podcast, if I didn't have a blog, I probably wouldn't have read those books. I used the excuse of, I have to create something new. I have to create something original. I have to 
you know, teach something. Because I had that excuse, I had incentive, I had purpose behind my curios- my, my newfound curiosities. And the other side of that is, even if you're not a writer, let's say you're an artist, a painter, by blogging or somehow sharing what you've learned, maybe it's through YouTube videos or talking, you get this secondary skill of articulation, which is a requirement for every creative. You have to know how to explain your ideas. You have to know how to explain and describe what you like, what you want. And you'd only do that by practicing, by practicing sharing, by practicing talking, typing, writing. So, you know, no matter what medium you call yours, I'd say that writing and speaking is a part, will be a part of any medium you do. So to summarize everything I've spoken on in this episode, you got to come up with a regimen for your consumption of art and entertainment. You've got to figure out how to apply it. You've got to be a practical consumer. And then you also have to find a way, a method of teaching what you've learned, of boiling it down and explaining random subjects that maybe don't have to do with storytelling, that don't have to do with art. Because art is so broad, and I talked about this in the last episode, but you have to have a message to go with the medium. And the easiest way that I know how you do that is to get curious about a certain subject. And by teaching that certain subject in the form of a blog, in the form of YouTube videos, by having that medium that maybe may not be your primary means of creative expression, but by having that, you become a, a better speaker, a better writer, which will help you no matter what you know creative medium you really want to make a stride in. So I'll end with a quote from a blog I wrote recently called The Same Thing Twice. We must treat our craft like the athlete who does the same drills day after day to prepare for the real game. We must treat the entertainment we absorb like the archaeologist who slowly digs into the same plot of land without fail in search of fossils. We must consume the same thing twice, then three times, then four, so that we can discover something new to say. Thanks for listening. Hey guys, if you like this episode, but kind of wish there was more, something you could take action on rather than just passively listen, well then I highly recommend signing up for the Purple Elephant Collective Patreon. If you go for the second tier, the Baby Elephant, that'll unlock two bonus podcast episodes a month. And these are not normal paper scrap episodes or or bonus interviews. These are workshop-based based around questions offered, questions you can answer, practical skills, something that you can use to set goals, change beliefs, get out of writer's block. Now, I'm making this because I think it's useful. I think passively consuming this content is helpful to an extent. But the difference between passively listening and taking action is night and day, which is why I highly recommend you check the link in the bio go on the Patreon. There's a couple other cool tiers that you can look at on there. And I really hope you'll join the Purple Elephant Collective. This is what I envisioned. This is the community I imagined when I started building this brand out. Thanks for listening.
This has been Purple Elephant Radio. Don't forget to subscribe, and we'll see you next week.